Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey everybody, Paul Gray here. Thanks so much for being with me once again. We've been doing a little series here talking about the Trinity's inexhaustible mystical experience, mystical adventure of experiencing the euphoria of perichoresis community. That's a mouthful. If you want to go back a few weeks ago, I talked about each one of those different words. The Trinity's inexhaustible mystical adventure of experiencing the euphoria of perichoresis community. And today I've titled this Singing and Shouting with Ecstatic Joy. We've been meditating each week and asking the Holy Spirit to show us what she or he however you want to address the Holy Spirit, Jesus referred to as a her, as what she wants us to know about truth, specifically the truth about God's love, God's grace, and God's joy. That's what we've done so far. We're going to talk about a whole lot more of those in the next few weeks to come. Today, for the second week, we're going to talk some more about joy. Because joy is so important. I mean, all of these are, but joy is so important. And that's what the Holy Spirit of truth has been showing me over and over again. I want to tell you about something that happened to me this week, the week that I'm recording this, and some of you will listen to it later on. I hadn't played my trombone or my trumpet for over a year and a half, really, because of COVID. And the restrictions have been lifted here where I live in Lawrence, Kansas. And I was asked to play a concert downtown, which I had done for almost 50 years. I missed a few years during that time when I was traveling with my band, but I was asked to play that concert again. And I was so looking forward to it. I was just full of joy. And then we got to the rehearsal. In the old days, we didn't rehearse because we played together all the time and we knew the songs. But for this particular thing, since people have moved away and passed on and put together a bit of a new group and went to the rehearsal and things didn't turn out well at all. So I thought. I literally couldn't hear the chord changes that I needed to hear to play and sing the songs. And when you're playing jazz, as you know, things aren't written down. You hear and you improvise or create. Well, man, I was really feeling bad. I came home. The concert was going to be two days later. I came home. I was anxious. I was worried. I started hearing these thoughts in my mind. Ah, Paul, you haven't played for a year and a half. Maybe you've lost it. Maybe it's like a baseball hitter or pitcher. You go along well, and then all of a sudden, you lost it. You don't have it anymore. Am I getting too old for this? Should I just put my horn in the case and leave it shut. Felt like I made a fool of myself and let my friends and the band down. And then I had a unique thought. 
<laughs> from the Holy Spirit saying, Paul, why don't you uh, practice what you preach? Why don't you practice what we've been showing you? First of all, realize you're thinking and you're speaking darkness, which, of course, is another word for negativity. Second, recognize it's harming you. And third, repent or change your mind, your way of thinking. Reject those thoughts. Then replace it with what we show you. And renew your mind. Take the mind of Christ. Go back to your original Genesis with the mind of Christ. And then rejoice. And then repeat as often as necessary. And I've had to repeat some things this week. Well, that just helped tremendously. It made all the difference. It also helped very much that I happen to live in a family that are very much encouragers and comforters. And we were having a birthday dinner that evening for a couple of different people in our immediate family here in town. There were uh, eight of us there. And my son and my daughter in particular, and my wife, when I was telling them about all of this, just really encouraged me. And I was able to go on and enjoy the meeting and not worry about it. Well, the next morning, as is generally what I like to do early in the morning, sometimes I go for a walk first, sometimes not. I was out in our screening porch in the backyard, praying and listening to the Lord and telling him again about this situation. He reminded me of what he showed me, or she reminded me of what she showed me the day before and said, look, Paul, watch for the really nice surprise that I'm giving you today. Take it as a love note from me. Well, okay. A couple of hours later, I got a call from one of the musicians in that group whom I highly respect, and he helped me realize that most of what I thought wasn't going well just for me wasn't my fault at all. Rather, it was someone else's. The chords that I was listening for weren't there, and my friend told me that had been dealt with, no worries. So what I had thought didn't turn out well did end up turning out very well. And the concert was fine. We all played well. I could hear the chords I needed to sing and play. It was very enjoyable. We had a bunch of friends and fans there. It was just wonderful. Well, when I was meditating on joy (laughs) this week, the Spirit of Truth said to me, now look, Paul, if you're not regularly experiencing perichoretic ecstasy, or euphoria, you don't really yet know us. You do know us, but you're reverting to some things you used to believe about the false concept of the small g God. That's not us, Paul. Remember that. That's not the only true God, because to know us is the life of the ages. John 17, 3, Jesus said, it's engaging with the Trinity in their inexhaustible adventure. It's the life of the ages. It's Zoe life and the Trinity's inexhaustible adventure. Sure, troubles are going to come. Of course they are. Jesus told us that. But Papa was saying to me, don't take those troubles. Don't dwell on them. That's making rotten rattlesnake roux stew, like we talked about last week. Then some verses started coming to my mind. Now, I believe that the Holy Spirit brought these to my mind. Maybe I just thought of them. Since we have the same mind, since I have the mind of Christ, since we're one in spirit, I go with the fact that the Holy Spirit brought it to my mind. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, Paul wrote this. Let joy be your continual feast. Make life your prayer. 
and in the midst of everything, always be giving thanks for this is God's perfect plan for you in Christ Jesus. Make your life a prayer. Let joy be your continual feast and always give thanks. And then Paul wrote this to the church in Philippi in chapter 3, verse 1. He said, my beloved ones, don't ever limit your joy or fail to rejoice in the wonderful experience of knowing our Lord Jesus. Rejoice in the wonderful experience of knowing Jesus. You know, Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty seven. this was before his finished work at the cross, he said, not a single person here knows the Father or me. And the implication in the text was, and the tense of the verbs and everything was that nobody had ever known Jesus or the Father, had glimpses of him, heard from him, but didn't know who they were hearing from, actually had a false concept of who he was. Well, Paul got it because Jesus appeared to him personally and spent several years in the Arabian desert teaching him personally. And then Paul wrote over and over again about the joy of knowing Jesus and Papa and the Holy Spirit intimately and personally. He goes on to say in that chapter, he says, I don't mind repeating what I've already written to you because it protects you. Then he says this, and boy, is it true for us today. Beware of those religious hypocrites, legalistic, evangelical Christians. Beware of those religious hypocrites who teach you that you have to keep their rules to please God. No, instead, we worship God in the power and freedom of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, not in laws and religious duties. We are those who boast in what Jesus Christ has done and (laughs) not in what we can accomplish in our own strength. He says, you know, it's one thing to talk about being joyful. No, I said this. (laughs) I, I thought I was still reading the text. This is a different Paul. This is me. It's one thing for us to talk about being joyful when everything's going great and we don't have any problems. But remember, Paul wrote Philippians when he was in a dark, rat infested, unsanitary prison underground, and he didn't have anything to eat unless friends brought it to him. The bathroom he had was the ground below him. And he wrote this about being joyful. He wrote this while he was there in Philippians 2.12. This is the mirror. He says, considering this amazing outcome of what our faith sees and celebrates, I strongly urge you, my darling friends, to continue to have your ears tuned to that which inspires your conduct, to give full expression to the detail of your own salvation. See salvation in its earth-shattering, awesome, and ultimate conclusion. Have your ears tuned to God. goes on to say in Philippians 2.13, God will continually revitalize you, implanting within you the passion to do what pleases him. God will continually revitalize you and empower you. Then he says this in verse 14, live a cheerful life without complaining. He was in prison, didn't know when he was going to get out. Live a cheerful life without complaining or division among yourselves. For then you will be seen as innocent, faultless, and pure children of God, even though you live in the midst of brutal and perverse culture. For you will appear among the others as shining lights in the universe, holding out the words of eternal life. And that eternal doesn't mean 
what we've been taught to mean. It means the life of the ages, which is right now and never ends. He says, I haven't labored among you for nothing, for your lives are the fruit of my ministry. Your lives are the fruit of my ministry and will be my glorious boast at the unveiling of Christ. Verse 17, I will rejoice even if my life is poured out like a liquid offering to God over your sacrificial and surrendered lives of faith. And so no matter what happens to me, Paul says in prison, not knowing if he's going to live and die, he says, no matter what happens to me, you should rejoice in ecstatic celebration with me. Whoa. He says, for now, I feel a stirring in my heart to send Epaphroditus back to you immediately. He's a friend to me and a wonderful brother and fellow soldier who has worked with me as we serve as ministers of the gospel. And you sent him as your apostle to minister to me in my need. It's true he almost died, but God showed him mercy and healed him. And I'm so thankful to God for his healing as I was spared from having the sorrow of losing him on top of all my other troubles. Now, Paul had troubles and he didn't hide it, but he went on to say in Philippians 4, 4, be cheerful and joyous, be cheerful with joyous celebration in every season of life. Let joy overflow for you are united with the anointed one. The mirror says this, joy is not a luxury option. Joy is your constant companion. Your union with the Lord is your permanent source of delight. So I might as well say it again. Rejoice. Did you Don't just let those words go by. Joy is your constant companion in your union with the Lord. That's because God is joy, your constant companion, your permanent source of delight. Verse 5, Philippians 4. This kind of joy empowers you to show perfect courtesy towards all people. The Lord is not nearer to some people than what he is to others. Your joy, get this now, your joy makes the gospel visible and irresistible. Remember, every definition of distance is canceled, as well as every excuse to feel miserable and neglected. Oh, man. Back in the very first of this chapter four, he says, you friends have become my glorious joy. And I say that to all of you listening today. You guys have become my glorious joy. He goes on to say in verse six, let no anxiety about anything distract you. Rather, translate moments into prayerful worship and soak your request in gratitude before God. See, anxiety, fear, and worry, and doubt is a distraction, a needless distraction. When you start to be anxious, don't let it distract you. Translate it into moments of prayerful worship. Then he says, and in this place of worship and gratitude, you will witness how the peace of God within you, it's not out there somewhere, it's in you, you will see how the peace of God within you echoes the awareness of Christ Jesus beyond the reach of any thought that could possibly unsettle you. Just like the sentry guard secures a city, watching out in advance for the first signs of any possible threat, your heart's deepest feelings and the tranquility of your thoughts are fully guarded there. Verse 8. Keep your thoughts continually fixed 
on all that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind, and fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. And Paul says, put into practice the example of all you've heard from me, you've seen in my life, and the God of peace will be with you in all things. Here's this guy in prison, a rat-infested prison with no bathroom, no food except what people brought him, not knowing whether he's got a death sentence on him or whether he'll ever get out. And he says, think about these things. Keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic, real, honorable, admirable, beautiful, respectful, pure, holy, merciful, and kind, and fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. Yeah, wouldn't that be better than worrying and doubting and being afraid and full of angst? Of course. I want you to look at what King David did hundreds of years before Paul wrote the things we've been looking at. King David was in a tremendously bad place here. His son had taken the kingdom from him, had vowed to kill him, ran him out of the capital city of uh, Jerusalem. David was hiding with just a few of his friends in a cave. He was surrounded by his son's army. And here's what he wrote in Psalm 27. He said, Yahweh, which means I am, is my revelation light and the source of my salvation. I fear no one. I'll never turn back and run for you, Yahweh, surround and protect me. He didn't look at the enemies surrounding him. He looked at God surrounding him and protecting him. He said, when evil ones come to destroy me, they will be the ones who turn back. Sure enough, they did. He said, my heart will not fear even if an army rises to attack. I won't be shaken even if war is imminent. Now, as we get to this next verse, I want you to remember again, Yahweh is actually the name I am, which means the one who has always been, is, and always will be. You'll see that David says the one thing he craves and seeks above all else is to live with I am every moment in his house. And that doesn't mean the church building with the four walls or the temple as in the old days. That means today we know his house is us. He came and chose to live in us. He made us. He made us his home. We are the temple of the Lord, and he ain't going nowhere. All right, we can do all of these things right now. All right, here's what he says. Here's what he says. He says that the one thing he craves and seeks above all else is to live with I am in his house. All right, here it is. Here's the one thing I crave from Yahweh, the one thing I seek above all else. I want to live with him every moment in his house, in the temple, beholding the marvelous beauty of Yahweh, filled with awe, delighting in his glory and grace. Now, the meaning of the Hebrew word for beauty there is N-O-apostrophe-A-M. It's not easily conveyed by one English word. It can also be translated sweetness or pleasantness or friendliness or graciousness or goodness or loveliness or splendor or delightfulness. So Brian Simmons, who wrote that footnote in the Passion Translation, says he encourages us to take each one of these terms, read the verse again, inserting the possible alternatives, and then meditate on those and be captured by the awesomeness of God each time we come before him and rejoice in his friendship. So 
Let's do that. We won't take the time to meditate, but I'm going to read them to you and just think about it. Let the Holy Spirit of truth speak to you. David is saying, it's certainly true for me, and I believe it is for you too. Here's the one thing I crave from Yahweh, the one thing I seek above all else. I want to live with him every moment in his house, beholding the marvelous sweetness of Yahweh, filled with awe, delighting in his glorious grace. I want to live with him, beholding the marvelous pleasantness, filled with awe, delighting in his glory and grace. I want to live with him every moment in his house, beholding the marvelous friendship of Yahweh, filled with awe, delighting in his glory and grace. Here's the one thing I crave from Yahweh, beholding the marvelous graciousness of Yahweh, filled with awe, delighting in his glory and grace. He said, here's the one thing I seek, beholding the marvelous goodness of God. Here's the one thing I crave, beholding the marvelous loveliness of Yahweh. Here's the one thing I want. I want to behold the marvelous splendor of Yahweh. Here's the one thing I crave. I want to live with him every moment, beholding the marvelous delightfulness of Yahweh. And then the last sentence in that verse says, I want to meditate and contemplate in his temple. We are his temple. He lives in us. We are the house of God. He says, I want to meditate and contemplate on all of these things in his temple. Now, he goes on to say, this is when he's hiding. He says, in the day of trouble, God will treasure me in his shelter under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock out of reach of all of my enemies who surround me. Triumphant now, I'll bring him my offering of praise, singing and shouting with ecstatic joy. Yes, I will sing praise to Yahweh. Hear my cry, show me mercy, and send the help I need. I heard your voice in my heart, Lord, say, come seek my face. My inner being responded, Yahweh, I'm seeking your face with all my heart. All right, so don't turn your face away from me, God. You're the God of my salvation. How can you reject your servant as anger, in anger, as some of us have been taught? You've been my only hope, so don't forsake me now when I need you. He said, my father and my mother abandoned me, but you, Yahweh, you took me in and made me yours. Now teach me, Yahweh, all about your ways and tell me what to do. Make it clear for me to understand because I'm surrounded by waiting enemies. Don't let them defeat me, Lord. You can't let me fall into their clutches. They keep accusing me of things I've never done, breaking out violence, breathing out violence against me. Yet I believe with all my heart that I will again see your goodness, Yahweh, in the land of life eternal, life, not in a sweet by and by. Here's what I've learned through it all, David said. Don't give up. Don't be impatient. Be entwined as one with the Lord. Be brave and courageous and never lose hope. Yes, keep on waiting for God will never disappoint you. Folks, wrap your arms around this. Wrap your arms around this. David, hiding in a cave, surrounded by his own family and former friends and the whole nation that he was king of turned against him. And he said, here's what he was doing. Singing and shouting with ecstatic joy. Paul, in the filthy prison, not knowing if he'd come out alive, wrote this. He said, I rejoice in ecstatic celebration. Seems to me we have something to learn from this, right? If you look at the Apostle Paul, here's what his theology was. It was Christ in all. John's theology was God is love and light. David's theology was God is good. 
Jeremiah, we didn't talk about this today. He wrote this in Jeremiah 3.19. He said, God, Yahweh, the great I am, says, call me Papa. <laughs> That's pretty good theology, isn't it? Rejoice in all this. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for being with me now. Next time when we get together, we're, I want you to, between now and then, to consider at least contemplating and meditating and asking the Holy Spirit of truth in you to show you what the Spirit of truth wants you to know about peace. What does God want you to know about the truth of peace? We'll talk about that next time. Thanks again, everybody. See you then. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.